There was a photo that went viral on social media recently. Um, maybe you saw it. This family uh, was out eating. Robert and Amy Wadford they had a bunch of kids, and they were at a restaurant. And one of their kids, a three-year-old named Brecken, noticed this man was sitting at a table eating all by himself. And he says, that isn't right. He says to mom and dad, that isn't right that that man was eating alone. And this kid, he can't get it off his mind. He's like, we got to go eat with that guy. Mommy, daddy, I want to go eat with that man. And they're just trying to get this kid to focus on his food, right? They, they're just trying to get him to eat down his chicken fingers or whatever, whatever he's, he's doing. But Brecken is not having it. You know, he's like... He's on a mission now, and he gets more and more insistent. I want to have dinner with that man. It kept pointing to him. It's getting kind of embarrassing. Mom can't calm him down, and so she scoops him up. She can sense this tantrum about to break out, and she starts walking him out to the car. But on the way, she has to walk by the table where the guy is, and he stops them, and he says, it's okay. He had overheard the whole thing. He knows what's going on, and he says, he can sit with me if you want. It's totally fine. I, I actually think it'd be nice. And so the mom is kind of confused, doesn't know what to do, puts Brecken down. He immediately climbs up at that table and sits down and begins eating with that man. I got a picture of it here. And this is the picture that went viral. And the two of them, they just sat and ate together, chips and salsa, and had a lovely conversation, three-year-old Brecken and that guy, whose name is Darius, until he was ready to go. And when it was time to go, a little Brecken just said, bye, as if he'd known him his whole life. And I think I know why that went viral now. Because, man, do we need more of that. We need more uh, 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 of just, like, noticing people. And caring about people and reaching out and an invitation to share a meal with someone. Because sharing a meal is like, that takes everything to another level, doesn't it? It's a powerful experience, sharing a meal. And I think that's why it was so touching. Something special happens at the table when we extend table fellowship. And I think that picture there is, is a picture of table fellowship. And it's a picture really of the kingdom of God. It's a picture of what it looks like when God gets what God wants. And Jesus did this kind of thing all the time. He shared meals with lots and lots of people as a way to notice them, as a way to be friends with them, as a way to include them, as a way to bless them. So if you're actually uh, serious about being a follower of Jesus, which means you actually follow him and do the things he did, if that's you, it may surprise you to realize that one of the ways we follow Jesus is by learning to bless people by eating with them. Yeah. Here's the point today, all right? Cue the music. Anyone have any music? All right, no music, so just listen up. Here it is. To bless your neighbors, Jesus invites you to eat with them. Okay, what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about the fact that, um, first of all, welcome and hello everyone at all of our campuses. Uh, glad you're joining us. Uh, some of you are maybe working your first weekend back um, with the, the opening up of some things. And uh, I know a lot of us are, you're joining online. We're really glad you're with us as well. Wherever you may be joining us from, all over the country or local here, wherever, we're glad you're with us. You, if you've been with us a few weeks, you know that we're trying to seize this cultural moment we're in because it's like once in a lifetime kind of experience. We're coming out of this pandemic and it's time for Christians to follow God's lead and just 
get out and love our neighbors. That's what Jesus commanded us to do. And it's important we do that right now. Like the cicadas that are coming out of their holes after being so long tucked away, we've got to create a holy buzz of, of movement of God and impacting the people that we live and work and play with by being a blessing. Do you realize how different life would be for us and so many other people if we took Jesus seriously on this and thought of every day as a mission trip, a little micro mission trip that he sent us on where we were looking for where his presence would show up, where he would give us divine appointments and just be ready to bless people. Because listen, God is on a mission, no question. God's plan to save the planet and heal the world. He has a strategy to love us back to himself. And he proved that that was his strategy by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to come and to live and to die on the cross and to show us what God's kingdom really looks like, how beautiful it is and what a good life it can bring. And it's all part of God's plan that goes back to the day when he began it through a man named Abram and then he continued it through the nation of Israel and it continued in full through the person of Jesus. And today Jesus' followers called the church are those who continue that strategy of loving the world back to God. And the way that God has always done it is by blessing, is by blessing it started, as I said, with a guy named Abram. Abram was a comfortable dude. He was, uh, he was old. He was set in his ways, probably. He, was, uh, he had things figured out. And then God starts messing with him, all right? So Genesis chapter 12, let's take a look at that again. Every week, this is important to remember. Genesis 12, it says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go, remember that word, Go from your country, your people, your father's household. This is an unexpected transfer. And I'll show you where you're going to go. You just start going. And I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And here's the punchline. That all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. And just as surely as God messed with Abram in order to be a blessing to the whole world, God is messing with you and with me right now. And if you don't believe me, just listen up to Jesus if you'll pay attention to what he said in what we call the Great Commission, Matthew 28. This is what Jesus said in words that are just as fresh today as they were the, the day Jesus uttered them. Here's what he said. He said, the Lord said to Abram, go, oh, excuse me, go to Matthew 28, verse 19. Matthew 28, verse 19 says, Oh, I'm sorry. Here we go. Here, that's what I want. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. There's that word go again. Jesus says go. And, and it's just like the call to Abram. Baptize them, teach them, and I will be with you always to the end of the age. When God starts messing with you, it's because he wants to start doing more blessing through you. Now remember, when Jesus used that word go, the grammar of that word literally means as you're going. So wherever you're going, every day, every person you meet, every encounter you have, you're on mission. At yoga, at karate class, at your dance 
group, your Facebook group, your trivia night, your, 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 your soccer mom group, your chamber of commerce click, the, 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 the people you walk with, run with, ride with, drive with, work with, whether you're at the country club, the arena club, or over a club soda, doesn't matter as you go, as you are going, Jesus says, make disciples. And how do we do that? Well, we bless like Jesus did. That's the strategy. So we're using this acronym we got from Dave and John Ferguson, and every week we're kind of unpacking one more letter in the word bless, because it really helps us see this very powerful, simple, biblical, practical, relational way that everyone, young and old, anyone, can have an impact for God. So let's go through the letters. Say them with me, will you? B-L-E-S-S. B stands for what? Begin with prayer. L stands for listen to others. E stands for eat with others. S stands for serve others. And give me another S. What does it stand for? Story, where we just have an opportunity to share our story. So we talked a couple weeks ago about that first B. Begin with prayer because, man, if we don't start with God's power unleashed in the world and working in people's lives to bless them, what's the use? We can't do anything on our own. And then remember, as we begin to pray for maybe our neighbors, our friends, our family, God first does a work in us. God uses prayer to change us. And then God uses us to change the world. So we start with prayer. Last week, Jared took us to the L. Because he's a big L himself, actually. No, he reminded us what the L really stands for. And that is, if we want to bless people in the name of Jesus, we got to learn to listen. we got to learn to listen. Because as Jesus showed us, being listened to is about the same thing as being loved. So we gave some attention to, to people. We, we, we give focused attention. We stop like Jesus did. Let me ask you, who did you listen to this last week in a deeper way? What did you learn? How might that affect your praying for them every day? I want to remind you, we're, we're trying to do this together. This is, hard. This is you know, a little bit of a life change. It's not a sermon series. We're talking about changing our lives so we're better blessers. And we need to do that together. And we want to encourage each other in that. So um, we are sending out every couple of days some encouraging text reminders. And the way you get in that is you've got to opt in, get your phone out if you haven't already done this. Um, you just got to um, text that number, uh, 877-622-1824. Just type in the word bless and we'll send you some encouragement there. And there's some other resources, really helpful stuff. I encourage you to go to the website. It's on the website, backslash bless, and we'll give you some more inspiration. Like this week, for example, I'm going to interview my friend and author Aaron Chambers on this topic and get practical and have some fun. It's on Facebook Live. You'll learn about that and other stuff on the website. So the B and the L we've covered. And now today... You know, this gets kind of tricky because I, I realize we started talking about prayer and some of you are like, man, that's a big topic for me and it's hard for me. And some of you feel like I'm not that good of a listener. But now some of you are like sitting up today. You're like, E, I think we're getting into my strong suit. <laughs> what does the E stand for? Eat, right? Eat. That's where we're going to hover today. Some of you are like, yeah, mm, donuts. <laughs> He's telling us to eat, Marge. Yeah, we're going to talk about eating. 
And let's just admit, you know, eating is such a huge, huge focus in our society. Everybody's talking about food. Maybe uh, some of it is because some of us put on the COVID-19. Jiggle your belly with me if you're like me and gained a bunch of weight during COVID. Yeah, some of us did. But our culture is obsessed with watching what we eat, right? And I always say, I watch what I eat. I watch, I watch the donuts and the cookies and the chips. I watch it all go right into my mouth. But we do, it's, it's important to watch what we eat. And we do, I got friends, my friend Brian is counting calories right now because he's trying to lose weight. So he's counting his calories. I got others that are like, I'm just controlling my portions. We're always thinking about what we eat and how much we eat. Oh, you got to stop eating this kind of saturated fat. You got to make sure you're not eating, drinking that kind of milk. Cut down the carbs, cut out the soda, more water. Go keto, go vegan, get gluten-free and all this stuff. We're thinking a lot about it. My daughter now, my daughter is on a kale kick. I'm like, seriously, kale? Who thought of this stuff anyway? I mean, kale, good grief. It's like a, it's like a status symbol for snobby people. I'm sorry, you kale lovers, but it's just too much for me. I can't, I can't believe that. I'm with G- Jim Gaffigan. He says, can we just stop with the kale propaganda for crying out loud? That stuff is awful. It tastes like bug spray. <laughs> you look at a can of bug spray, it says made with real kale. I mean, that's, it's, it's awful stuff. It's like, oh, but it's a superfood. No, it's not a superfood. It, it may be a superfood, but who cares? It, it tastes like, like spinach with, with hair. I mean, you, you, kale is, is no good. Here's a pro tip. If you're going to eat kale, just mix in a little coconut oil when you cook it up because that way it'll slide out of the pan and into the trash where it belongs a little better. All right, so kale, whatever. If you're into kale, great. The point is we're all paying so much attention to what we eat and eating healthy and all of this. Now, All joking aside for just a minute, um, this matter of eating and food is actually a really important deal. First, it's important because our bodies are gifts from God and and we we need to be good stewards of our energy and our life and our bodies. That's important. It's also no laughing matter for a lot of people, right? Because there are millions of people around the world that are undernourished and going to bed, children going to bed hungry and with food insecurity right here in our own neighborhoods. This is, why, this is why we have these huge food giveaways through the epicenter. Every month, over 200 families are served. And why we do things like blessing and a backpack to put some healthy food in kids' lunches and send them home. Because this stuff really matters. And you know why else it's not a laughing matter is that a lot of people really struggle with eating disorders, with food addictions, things like anorexia and bulimia. These things can enslave a person and rob your life. And we just want you to know if you're struggling with food in any way like that, There is hope and there is help for you. Lots of people in this church have been on that journey with Jesus, inviting him into that difficult space and have come out on the other side where this is doable, livable, manageable, and you can be healed from that. So you can check in at Celebrate Recovery or go to our website and check out the Pastoral Care Connection request right there and we'll be able to put you in touch with groups and books or whatever counselors, whatever will help you, okay? So, with all that said, all right, about food, what we're going to focus on today is how we need to, as God's people, make a shift from what everyone else is focused on when it comes to food. Because everybody's thinking and planning so much about what they eat, right? And that's okay, but we need to be people who think and plan just as much, who pay just as much attention, not just to what we eat, but to who we eat with. 
and why we eat with them. We need to pay attention to the who, because eating with people turns out to be one of the best ways to bless people. What if you and I became more intentional about how we used our meal times? What if we became more thoughtful and relational about how we ate food with others? What if we realized as we're eating that food is a way to be on mission even? I think we would if we remembered and recognized more often the power of eating with someone. Something just special happens. And we've all had examples of this. If I asked you to think of the most amazing dinner you've ever had and you describe that moment and you look in your mind's eye, you probably wouldn't only tell me about the menu. You'd tell me about who was there and how you felt. Whether it was a Thanksgiving dinner where they had a nameplate with your, your name on it and you felt like you belonged or whether it was just a happy time of celebration. Whatever it is, we all know about the power. But it's not about what's on the table. All right? It's about who's around the table, isn't it? And when we invite and include and welcome, it deepens friendships and good things happen. And we see when we look at the life of Jesus how often he did this, and eating becomes this sacred kind of beautiful table fellowship and one of the most practical and powerful ways to bless someone. Something as simple as eating. One of the most powerful ways. What if we learned to see our meals as more than feeding our faces, but feeding relationships, feeding our souls, feeding fellowship as one of the primary things we're doing there. That's how you can bless people and change the world. Now we're... um, we're excited to have some new neighbors that moved in next door and they're great people and we've been wanting to get to know them better for a while. You know, we're having the chats at the mailbox and out over the hedge, you know, and, and standing in the driveway. But those are just brief exchanges, you know, but this last week we had them over. Our, our kids were there, their kids were there and we just, we just got to know them. We heard their story. How'd you meet? You know, where did you work? Where'd you go to school? And what do you enjoy doing? What's your next vacation going to be like? And it changed the relationship. Just like that, in one meal, catapulted us forward. When you share a meal with someone, it, it does that, right? My daughter Ellie is home from college, so just for a short time before she's going to take off for the whole summer. And I wanted to be sure to connect with her. I wanted some meaningful one on one time with her. Guess what we did, right? We went out to eat, we shared a meal together, right? We had some slow conversation. We didn't just feed our faces. We, we fed our relationship in that way because sharing a meal together is sharing life together. It just is. That's what I think of when I think of the biblical word of hospitality. It's a rich, deep word. I think a lot of times we make that word just kind of chintzy and small. It's like hospitality is like someone that knows the right napkins to put out or has fancy china or maybe really good at being the life of the party or something. That's not what biblical hospitality really means. It's not the restaurant industry or hotel work. No. In the Bible, it comes out of the very heart of God and the character of God who has extended out of an act of grace and mercy, extended him's very self in the most giving of ways to us. 
He's reached out and he's blessed us. And he has said by sending his son to die on the cross that all who trust in him could come. He said, there's a place at the table for you. That's the heart of God. That's the very central message of the Bible that he says to every single person he created, no matter who we are, where we've gone, what we've done, you're included. I love you. I want you at the table. You belong. You're valuable. You are loved. This is the heart of God. And when you say yes to that startling audacious, ridiculous kind of hospitality from God who welcomes us and calls us his own family, his own children. My goodness, it changes something about you deep inside. And then when you turn around and you extend that, you say, I'm so blessed, I want to be a blessing. And you open that same hospitality to someone else. Oh my goodness, they come and they can also begin to say, I also can be included. I also can experience that. And they can do what the Bible says, they can taste and see over a meal with you, what you have experienced with God, and they'll say, I want more of that. And you can say, yes, let me tell you about the one who is the bread of life, the living water, the very nourishment of our souls. That's hospitality. And when you give, when you receive it, it's a blessing. And when you give it, you're being a blesser. And that kind of blessing can change the world. And that's why Jesus did this all the time. If I asked you, you know, to list the ways that Jesus blessed people, we'd probably say, well, he healed people. He was a teacher. He died on the cross. Yes. Some of us would forget that one of the main ways Jesus blessed people was by eating with them. It really was. It was like a central component of his entire ministry. It was an act of friendship and intimacy that he extended to the most unlikely people. It's what got him in trouble. Jesus teaches us that God has a place for us at what he calls this ultimate big banquet feast in glory one day where there's this abundance and there's this big table with lots and lots of food where we can come and go with him to his father's house and we can play football and enjoy life. And Jesus teaches that it's this amazing big party. And then he says that big future vision of a table that's endless and abundance and food and we're having a good time and laughing together and we can imagine that most awesome meal we've ever had. He says, that's a picture of what it's like when you're at home with God. And he says, let's bring that right down to our living room today. That isn't just about heaven. It's about heaven on earth. Let's break bread together. Let me show you. And Jesus began to change the world that way. And he invites you to do the same thing. Jesus' first miracle was at a wedding feast. And he turned water into wine so they could keep the party going. You probably heard about the time Jesus was out in a deserted place, right? And thousands of people were gathering, hearing him teach. And at the end, you know, they're, they're all tired and hungry. And, 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 and the disciples say, well, Jesus, it looks like the lecture is over. You better send these people home so they can get something to eat. And Jesus looks at them and looks at the people. And he says, no, you get them something to eat. And they had no idea, no clue what to do. They found one kid who was apparently the only one in the group who had enough sense to bring a sack lunch. And they got that sack lunch, this little happy meal, brought it to Jesus. And he says, yes, 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 yes. And he prays over that lunch and he begins to pass it out family style. Until everybody there had more than they needed with boxed up take-home packages for, for so many people at, at the end. And that miracle moment where people are happy and well-fed is a snapshot. Eating a meal together is a snapshot. Where nobody goes away hungry is a snapshot of heaven on earth. And if you'll just take the little bit that you have, 
your little home, your little schedule, your little budget, your little spare time, and you will open up and offer it to the hands of Jesus. He will take it and say, yes, 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 I can use this, and begin to share it with other people and multiply it in ways that are way beyond anything you could do if you'll just be willing to bless someone by sharing a meal with them. It's amazing what can happen. You know, another time when Jesus was on the road going somewhere, he sees that guy Zacchaeus who was an outsider, a sinner far from God, hiding up in that tree. Remember, we talked about him a couple weeks ago. What did Jesus do? Do you remember? He spoke to him. What did he say? Did he say, Zacchaeus, repent? Your life is really out of line and you're making some horrible choices and you are believing things that aren't true and your lifestyle is sinful. Did he say that? He didn't. Now all those things are true and Peter and, and Zacchaeus certainly did need to repent. It's not where Jesus began. He didn't say, Zacchaeus, people like you disgust me. He didn't just walk on by and pretend he didn't see him like a lot of us are tempted to do with people that make us uncomfortable. He didn't do any of that. Instead, he stopped, and you know what he said? He said, Zacchaeus, let's have lunch. In fact, let's do it at your place. What are you doing right now? And they went, and the Bible says that salvation came to that house that day, and it started over a sandwich. Friends, we've got to pay attention to this. You want, to, you want to say you're a Christian, you've got to be like Jesus. What did Jesus do? Almost, there's so many examples where his ministry centered around everyday things like food. And that's why in the book of Revelation, it, it even likens our whole salvation to this thing. It says that he wants to hap, have happened with us what happened with Zacchaeus. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20 says this. Look, Jesus says, I'm standing at the door of your life and your heart right now and I'm knocking. And if you will hear my voice, some of you need to listen to this right now. If you will hear my voice and you will open the door, open the door of your life Dare to take the risk to trust me that I will come in. Guess what we'll do? The first thing we'll do is we'll sit down and share a meal together as friends. The Bible's most powerful way of describing intimacy in a relationship with Jesus is eating together. Being with Jesus is like eating together. And it begins with you opening the door to him. And he comes in and eats with you and then you turn around and you open your door to someone else's because you've been blessed and now you want to be a blessing. One of the most distinctive things about Jesus is who he ate with. So there's a lot we could talk about here and, you know, about how dads need to go on more dates with daughters and, you know, couples need to spend more time together. You need to get out with your friends and need to have food at our meetings and church and all that. And I think it's all very important good stuff. We need to put our phones down and have some conversation around the family dinner table. I, I don't have time to go into that because I don't want you to miss the main thing. And that is that, look at, look at Luke chapter 7, what it says. It says, Jesus, the son of man, he's, he's sometimes called one of his favorite names for himself. The son of man came eating and drinking. That was his, that was his thing. And what they said about him was, oh, he's a glutton and a drunkard, which wasn't true, but then he said he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Well, that was true, and he embraced it. One of my favorite examples of how this played out is in the life of a guy named Matthew. Matthew was one of the original 12 disciples, remember? He's one of the guys that followed Jesus originally, but he was a tax collector like that Zacchaeus guy. And you probably remember in those days how hated tax collectors were. 
The Jews could not stand the Romans. They were under their oppression and they were taxing the fire out of these poor Jews and they just could barely keep their head above water. And what they hated was the Romans. What they hated even more was sell out Jews who would go work for the Roman government and gouge their own people to line their pockets by charging extra. They were scum. They were dogs. They were, they were hanging out with those Gentiles, and then on top of it, they were gouging God's people. And those unclean, despicable dogs are someone you'd rather spit at than look at. And look at what it says in Matthew chapter 9. This is Matthew telling his own story. Verse 9 and following. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. What did Jesus say? Follow me and be my disciple, he said. And Jesus said to him that, those words. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, can't slip much by Jesus, he said, you know what? Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And then he added, now, Go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want, to show, I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I've come to call those, not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Fascinating passage where Matthew's telling the story of when he first came to Jesus and how it started at a dinner party. Notice, so many things about this story. I'll point out a couple. The first thing is that you can maybe think about a friend that you have that you wish had a relationship with Jesus that doesn't. I, I'm thinking of some people right now. I wish they were closer to Jesus, knew Jesus. I want them, I want to see them in heaven. I, I, I want their life now to be better and richer and fuller. And That's what Jesus wanted for Matthew. I want you to notice the first thing that he did with Matthew was he didn't teach him a class. He didn't take him to the synagogue. He didn't have him memorize some scriptures. All those would have been good things, I'm sure. But something about where Matthew was and how he thought of the religious establishment. Are you still thinking of your friend? Something about where Matthew was told Jesus that the best thing he could do is just go to this party and eat and hang out with him. That was the first step. And did you notice who else joined this party? Who else came to this party? All kinds of his pals who were other, what? Tax collectors. All kinds of other people who didn't know the right thing to say, who didn't know much about the Bible, who, who didn't know all, all the right morals. All these people, a whole bunch of sinners and socially unacceptable people start gathering in at this party. That's why the religious teachers tried to embarrass Jesus by saying to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with people like that? Jesus hears it and he's munching on some wings. He looks up and says, because healthy people don't need a doctor. It's sick people that do. Just kind of nails him with that. These were people were experts in the law. And Jesus says, why don't you go learn a few things about the Bible? Oh, I bet that wrote all over them because they had the Bible memorized inside and out. He quotes a verse they knew very well. I desire mercy, not your sacrifices. Right out of the Hebrew Bible, or what we call the Old Testament. And he points out how they were so good at all their religious observances and rituals, but they were missing the people right there at the party. 
I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You know that verse, you don't know what it means. You're not living it out. And then Jesus says, as he takes another bite out of a drumstick, the way you please God is by blessing people. And let me show you what that looks like right now. Pass the iced tea. You want to bless people like Jesus, you start by showing up around the table where people who need him are. You can do that too and help people find their way back to God. What about you? Are you willing to do some of what Jesus did here? Is it scary? Is it exciting to you to think about how you could bless people through food? Let's be honest for just a minute and, and, and talk about the, the, the brutal reality of the matter here is that conceptually a lot of us could get excited about this, but there are some excuses and some barriers for us pulling this off, right? I know it would be great and we would probably open doors for conversation and probably change someone's life, change the whole eternity, but, right, we've got, we've got these big, big buts, so let's talk about it. Number one, uh, but I don't like to have people in my home, Right? Because a lot of us just, I don't feel like my place is very fancy. I don't feel like it's big enough. I, we don't have a good table for this. Um, I'm not a good cook. I don't like the way my yard looks. Whatever. Okay, okay, but listen. You, you don't have to have them into your home. All right? You don't. You can go out to eat. Meet for coffee. It's cheaper. Right? Or have yourself invited to their place. That's what Jesus did. He never hosted a dinner at his place ever. And he was pretty good at this. So don't let that be a barrier. Number two. But I wouldn't know what to say. I just wouldn't know what to say. We're all concerned about these awkward silences and these moments of anxiousness. I, I get all that. Yep. But you don't have to focus on what you're going to say. Remember, you can focus on listening to what they're going to say. And come loaded with your questions. Where'd you grow up? What do you do for fun? How about them ravens? Whatever. I think the third excuse might be the toughest one for a lot of us. It probably is for me. It's the barrier that says, but I just don't have the time. I mean, if we're honest, some weeks come and go, and I can barely find time to eat myself, let alone with my family, or work something like what we're talking about into our schedule, because our schedule kind of gets out of control sometimes. And maybe that's really the heart of this. Disciples need to show some discipline with their eating and their schedules. Here's the thing. Think about this for a second. Eating is already on your schedule. Unless you're a robot, you're going to eat this week. And you're probably going to do it more than once. Probably, you know, if you get three squares, 21 times this week. When you think about it that way, it's more of a question of how could I share one of those meals with someone other than just myself and my face, <laughs> right? How could I show hospitality? What are, what are we supposed to do with all this? Where are we, where are we landing the plane today? Well, it's simple as this. Would you be willing to follow Jesus in this practice that he demonstrated so readily by sharing meals and food with people, by blessing people over a meal? Would you be willing to try that, to do more of that? That's the challenge. Would you be willing to think not only about what you're eating all the time, but who you're eating it with and why? Would you be willing to be more intentional about your meals, more purposeful about eating, more on mission as we do so. That's the challenge. Because, folks, we got to find a way. we got to find a way to do what little Brecken did in that restaurant. 
where we all go, yes, we need more of that. What about you? So to get real practical, you know, my neighbors, I told them we had them over the other night, they told us how they plan all their meals out for the whole week. They have a little meal planner, maybe something like this. You've maybe seen these planners. You can get them online. They, they go buy all their food. They cook it up, and they prepare it all, put it in the freezer, and they do all that ahead of time. And so what they're going to do, they fill in all the boxes there. And you can see that. It's just a simple chart. You can get two on one piece of paper, Monday, Tuesday, Saturday, Sunday, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Here's the thing. That's an amazingly powerful tool to use, to plan. But what if we would use a planner like that, except instead of using it to plan what we're going to eat, we would use it to plan who God is leading us to eat with. You could make that chart yourself and ask God to share, you, share with you what you can do with some of those 21 squares this week. And then the following week. It's going to take some time to plan ahead. You might be too busy. It might be a month out. But if you want to, you can plan ahead and share a meal with someone. Invite them. Maybe it's a barbecue at the end of the driveway for the whole neighborhood. Maybe it's an invitation for something at your home or someone else's. Just invite them, listen, and invite Jesus to show up. Because when you've got you and some people and Jesus and food, good things are going to happen. That's your challenge. Let's pray. God, we pray that you will help us to to not lose sight of how utterly practical this is. That something as simple as sharing some food with someone can be used so powerfully by you. So beautiful because you always use simple, ordinary things to do extraordinary things. So help us to trust you as we pray for people and as we listen to their stories and open up opportunities for us to do what Jesus did, to bless someone by eating together. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.